Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. All right. Hello, listeners. We are back highlighting another amazing Tahoe local for Women's History Month. Our guest today has a laundry list of titles and accomplishments, including the 2020 Dancing with the Tahoe Stars winner, a dedicated teacher at South Tahoe High School, champion of the Ally Club, and accomplished writer and soon-to-be-published author. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show Bridie Thielen-Heidel. Oh, thank you very much. I am uh, I'm so flattered that I've been invited. And uh, I just want to say, you know, I, I wish that in my life when I was young um, that my mom would have had the courage to take advantage of the resources that a group like yours offers an organization, because I feel like if she would have come forward and gone to the Tahoe Women's Center at the time, you know, when I was younger, Mm -hmm. that um, I might not have had such a long story to tell. So I appreciate what you do also for my students in our community. So thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And we're so excited to have you, Bridie. Um, You know, I got to see you in action when I was working at the school. So many of the kids that I had there that I was either, you know, teaching or had in my uh, group there on campus, they all just said, you know, you were the coolest teacher that they had. They had just gleaming reviews uh, for you. So, you know, we know you've had a huge impact on the Tahoe community and even beyond that. So we're just really looking forward to, you know, all the wisdom that you have to share uh, with our listeners today. We know it's going to be plentiful. But before we actually dive in and get into our more serious questions of the day, we always start off with some fun questions. So who is a female hero of yours and why? Um, oh my gosh. Uh, a female hero. I mean, right now, I love Drew Barrymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ooh. she really is. She really is, a, um, I think, a, a female hero because I think that she struggled also in many different ways as a little kid. But what a shining light she is. And mm-hmm. I just love I just love watching her. And I feel like every time I watch her on a silly video or something or on her show, um, I just feel better. I come away happier. And I feel like that's a great gift. Yeah. So, yeah, Absolutely. Next fun question. Um, If you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be and why? Oh, my gosh. Well, maybe some of what I I might talk about today is one of the powers I thought I had as a kid. But um, I would love to be able to fly. I think that would be really awesome. And, you know, fly all over the place. Fly to a warmer place right now. Fly to sunshine right now. Right? That would be great. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Fly to an island. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think that'd be fantastic just to be able to jet out for a little bit. You know, you don't have to worry about plane tickets or travel time in the car. Just, yeah, be at a tropical vacation on a whim. Sounds amazing. Sounds awesome. All right. So our last fun question for you, and this is a question we ask every single guest on the show. If you could have lunch with anybody throughout time, fictional, non-fictional, past, present, who would it be and why? Gosh, I'm an English teacher, so of course I'm kind of jumping to some authors. Um, I actually would love to have um, 
spend some time having a meal with Dorothy Allison. And she wrote a book called Bastard Out of Carolina. And it was made into a film with um, our local, another local girl here, Jenna Malone, who's made lots of movies. Oh, wow. Um, but, she, but Jenna grew up here in South Lake Tahoe. And um, um, so Dorothy Allison wrote Bastard Out of Carolina. And she, she's gritty and she's truthful. And um, yeah, I think she'd be really awesome. And if any of your listeners uh, grab, a, grab Bastard Out of Carolina, it's a great book. It's a great book. And she probably is one of the people who gave me permission to write as honestly as I do. So I'd love to, mm. to chat with her and say thank you. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, I love that answer as well. So yeah, so let's jump into some of the more serious questions today. You know, personally, a, a cause dear to my heart as a queer man who came out in his senior year of high school, um, you have been a youth advocate and champion for LGBT plus students at the South Tahoe High School. Can you share about... Um, the Ally Club on campus, and how long have you been doing that? Starting that, I'm just I'm so personally impressed with your dedication to the to the LGBTQ plus community here in Tahoe, and and you know, being personally involved with it myself, I see your name everywhere, all over our groups, you know, and you're mm -hmm. historically tied to the cause, and it's just I, I appreciate you know you having been such an ally for so long um, in this community, which is so important. Thank you very much. Well, I'll tell you, I I started Ally at South Tahoe High School in 2006. And it was in response to a suicide note um, a young man gave to me. And he'd been being harassed for being gay, which he was still trying to sort out for himself. You know, I think he was 15 at the time. Right. And um, I went home and got online. It was probably Ask Jeeves at the time, AOL, you know, dot com. <laughs> oh my God, yes. And um, <laughs> it was a long time ago, dial up. Um, and I found gay straight alliances and I saw that there were a few hundred, I think at the time around the country. And that was it. I just was like, we're going to start it. Um, and you know, I'm not really one to ask permission. I will usually ask forgiveness if I have to. Um, but I was very lucky with the full support of school administration, you know, at the high school and the district, um, a hundred people showed up to our first meeting. Um, we wow. had... Yeah, it was amazing. You couldn't even get in my classroom. It was so packed. We had students, we had staff, even some community members had heard about it. They wanted to come show the students they were supported. And that's when amazing. I just knew we were, we were onto something, right? And um, yeah, friends, friends of Allies started at the college a couple years later uh, with the help of Chris Seidel um, from Seidelis. And Who I love. <laughs> then, yeah, right? We owe a lot to Seidelis, that, that lovely couple. I call them their celeb name and their brewery, but, um, and then, <laughs> right. And then, um, in 2015, we started Ally Junior at the middle school. And I feel like, you know, our work has been really profound for me personally and professionally, for sure. Um, you know, I remember at this point that it's been going on for so many years, a lot of firsts, you know, my first trans boy, uh, my first lesbian student who was sent to conversion therapy, uh, my first student who became a drag queen, my first students to transition, and, you know, walking them through testosterone and estrogen and all of those, and uh, my first hate crime um, at school, my first expulsion of a student for a hate crime. Yes, we made sure that child was expelled. Wow. Um, my first battles with parents. So 
you know, there were a lot of beautiful firsts, but there were a lot of firsts that I wish were last. <laughs> yeah. Ally is now a gender and sexuality alliance. And, um, you know, we're really working to help our students feel safe in a world that I think feels even less safe than it did in 2006. And, you know, it's a struggle, right? Because there's a whole population of hateful people out there who have been emboldened by federal government, um, state governments. And right. They really believe that their hate is not only justified, but that it's needed right now. You know, and I feel like Trump changed the rules and he handed that playbook to governors like, you know, DeSantis in Florida. And it's just so dangerous. So, you know, uh, we have we were just talking yesterday. We've slid backwards a bit. There's work to do at the high school, the middle school, um, just in our in our world in general. So but I'm so I'm so proud of our kids. And, you know, our first uh, one of our first ally presidents, he works in D.C. now um, and he has been out politically in all of his campaigning and worked for Biden for his campaign. And um, so, yeah, I'm really I'm really proud of our community. It's been a community wide push for this. And I just I just Googled it and then everybody else helped me to do the rest. <laughs> Incredible, though. I mean, just to hear that you had a hundred people show up to your first meeting. I mean, I remember trying to get groups together, right, and and form coalitions and things like that. And you know, even for great causes, some of the time it, that was one of the hardest parts about it, right? Was getting that buy-in or just you know getting people that our schedules can align, they could make the meetings, and just to know a hundred people showed up, I think, really shows you know, how important this cause is um, and how it has deeply affected you know people in that community enough that. They're saying, you know, we, we have to show up for this. We have to support it. We have to be involved in it. And just really incredible that you created that platform for all of that work to occur because you're absolutely right. It's it's really sad and it's really scary as of late, you know, all the legislation for trans individuals um, in access to health care and the anti-drag bills, which I will never personally understand, um, but that's neither here nor there. So yeah, it's just it's in a world where there's so much turmoil around some of those subjects when there really shouldn't be. Um, it's just wonderful to know that there's, you know, groups and coalitions and clubs like yours where people can come together, right, and and have this network of support from people that they look up to, such as yourself and and the community as well. So, yeah, yeah we we love everything you're doing there. You. I know I, I always say like I can't I can't wait until I can shut the doors and not have to have the club like I can't wait till nobody shows up that's my dream right is that everybody's okay and nobody needs the club right so one Thursday there won't be anybody there because the kids are all right <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny I used to say the exact same thing teaching right doing prevention mm -hmm. education for live violence free I used to say we're all trying to work ourselves out of a job we are hoping that I can come into schools and educate you guys on what is healthy versus unhealthy and what you deserve and what respect and love and relationships really is to the point where, you know, you grow up and we don't need to live violence free anymore because we're not seeing these issues in the community. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely can understand and feel that. Right. Um, you know, we're hoping that this work kind of allows us to stop doing the work at some point. But in the interim, it's just again, it's wonderful to know the impact you've had on the community and all the work that you're doing. So thank absolutely, you. just thank you for that. Um, our next question, we're segueing off uh, a little bit here, but we know that you are soon going to New York City 
And you're going to be involved in a performance called Listen to Your Mother. So we would love for you to educate us and just the listeners, like, what is this show about? What can you expect from it? Um, And what's your performance going to be like in that show? Yeah, Listen to Your Mother's been around for about 10 years, and um, they license it kind of like a TEDx talk around the country. And so this is the first time it's been licensed in Manhattan. And so... um, it's, these are monologues about motherhood. So like the good, the bad, the rough, the funny. Um, it's a cast. This cast is of 14, I think, uh, coming from all around the country. And um, I was encouraged by one of my childhood besties. She's been telling me for years to audition for Listen to Your Mother. And so during December when we had all the blackouts and power outages and bad storms, mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Um, and so the producer was accepting Zoom auditions. And so I thought, well what the hell I'm not going to get it anyway and then I got it so (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah thank you so I'm going to be reading a piece I wrote um about how I became a great mom and that was by paying attention to the way my mom raised me and then doing exactly the opposite (laughs) and I I think that is relatable to a lot of people so that is the piece that I'll be reading in New York I, I often say we grew up in reaction to our parents, I think, <laughs> the older I get. It is true. It is true. It's a little gritty. So I know I've, I've had a bunch of people talk about, you know, wanting to live stream it. And some of my students, one student even asked today, and I said, okay, but just know it's not Miss Heidel up there on Dancing with the Stars. Like, this is gritty and it's, right. it's pretty dark stuff, right. you know, but really, I think the message is really important. So I'm glad people are going to watch. Absolutely. Listeners out there, just so you know, uh, I'm going to have down in the description actually a link that, you know, if you're in the New York area, you want to go see Bridie live um, doing this performance, you absolutely can. There's going to be a ticket link. There's also that live stream link as well and just information about the show. So if this has piqued your interest, you want to check it out, again, go down in the description. We're going to have all of those things linked there for you for you to check it out. But that kind of, you know, segues a little bit into this question as well, right? Because you're speaking about, you know, there's, it's gonna be like this gritty storytelling, um, getting personal about your upbringing. So you know, you have a blog, which I've read, I have loved called Bright Eyes. And you know, we also know that you are writing a memoir or publishing a memoir as well. So first off, I just want to read a little excerpt from your blog that spoke to me so much. And I thought, you know, not only is it beautifully written, and again, you're an English teacher, so no surprise there. But at the same time, just it was so powerful when I read this passage. So this blog post is called We Owned the Night for any listeners that want to go and read it. Again, her blog and other things are going to be linked below as well. But the excerpt says, I saw childhood from my window, kids riding 10 speeds without a baby seat on the back, playing hide and seek as a game not a strategy to survive, and a dad carrying a little one on his shoulders while I carried the world on mine. And when I read that, I mean, I just got chills now, just like rereading that and and letting that really kind of seep in. Um, It's just so powerful. And especially again, you know, with the work that Colin and I do, the agency we work for, just so much of that just really resonated with me um, and really spoke to me. And so Bridie, can you just give a little um, kind of backstory about your blog, about your memoir, you know, and really kind of the story that you're speaking to with all of that? Sure. Thank you very much. Thanks for reading the blog, too. Um, Absolutely. My pleasure. You know, (laughs) thank you. I feel 
I feel like people who are compelled to write memoirs uh, or their memoir are usually just trying to get something off our chest, right? We feel like we have a story and we want to share it. Maybe we don't even know why or who's going to read it. But uh, for me, I had a lot of stored trauma in my body mm-hmm. and from, from years of physical and sexual abuse and um, as well as the mental abuse that comes with growing up with addicts and abusers. Yeah. And um, it was a codependency, right? There was a codependency that we're conditioned to believe is real. Mm-hmm. And so that mental abuse, that feeling that like our abusers, that their happiness matters more than ours. And when they're not happy, it's our fault because we forgot that their needs come far before our own. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was just this storytelling that, you know, I'd been doing since I was a little kid. I'd been writing in diaries, you know, stories I couldn't tell people I wasn't allowed to talk about. And that continued into my teens and journals and college, still trying to sort out how I felt and, and really who I wanted to be. And I realized that the best way to get all that out was to really write it down um, thoroughly with every memory that I could, that I could pull out of my body. And I, I really feel like it was an exorcism in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, sure. you know, but, but once it was on the page, my body didn't have to work so hard to remember everything. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to hold, my body didn't have to hold people accountable anymore. So I didn't have to remember the smell in the room. I didn't have to remember the song that was playing at the time. I didn't have to remember the food that was cooking on the stove. It was like all these triggers that could take me back to that moment of, you know, that was, that hurt, you know? Right. So the memoir at its heart, um, it's a celebration. It is. It's a celebration of a little girl who uses the survival skills she learns as a child to break the cycle of abuse and to break the cycle of codependency forever, forever. And so in the book, um, I write about resilience and I write about the resilience of little kids getting up, getting back up time after time. Right. And that resilience I learned as a kid helped me know that I could get up as an adult and I could stand on my own two feet and I could endure more than most people. Yeah. I wrote about bravery that you develop as a child because you don't have a choice, right? You have to call the police. You have to run to the neighbors. You have to face the monsters. Um, And that bravery, as I got older, really helped me to make very difficult and unpopular decisions within my family. Mm -hmm. Um, It helped me to let go of a lot of people who depended on me um, and a lot of people who needed me to stay broken Mm -hmm. because it was really more comfortable for them, right? Um, I wrote about optimism. This is like, I describe it, I guess, as like the collective optimism or the collective gaslighting really that happens in a lot of homes like mine. You wake up in the morning after fighting and calling the police and breaking dishes and breaking each other and a pot of coffee goes on, the eggs get scrambled and everybody just pretends that the night before didn't happen. Right. And it's that feeling that in the morning it will be better right? The next day is a chance to start over and nobody wants to break the spell, right? So nobody says anything about it. Mm-hmm. And um, that feeling of starting over every day for us in my case. And also I moved about two times a school year. So there was a lot of starting over, a lot of grass is greener. And so that is the optimism I was really, I think, conditioned to. And 
I, I also have a pretty positive DNA. My biological father was a really wonderful, amazing human, despite his own challenges, but I got a little bit of that. But, you know, so I use that optimism as an adult to really make myself buy into the idea that I could change my story and I could create a happy life because there's always hope, you know, and just get to the other side, look for the light. And if you don't see the light, look for the people holding the lanterns mm -hmm. that are lighting the path. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's kind of, that's really the memoir. And then I had a, a wonderful editor who suggested I write the blog and what has been so cool about that is the blog is a very different voice because it's me today. It's my wisdom. It's my snarkiness. It's my pissed offedness, right? <laughs> um, and I get to be reflective and all these things. In the book, I actually wrote the memoir in present tense. So I write it from a child's perspective. And so mm. a child's perspective of growing up with abusive addicts. And so as the reader... You are with me as I'm learning in real time. Oh, wow. You are with me as my awareness is, you know, is not there and I don't understand. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I have one, one scene in the book where um, I stick a straw up my nose and joke that I'm snorting Coke and I'm five, you know, because that's what I've seen. And I think it's funny because it's Coca-Cola, right? I'm snorting Coca-Cola up my nose. <laughs> but, right. You know, if I was writing that in the past tense, I'd have all this judgment of that little kid or of the situation. But I didn't know. I just thought it was being hilarious because mm -hmm. I had made the connection between Coke and Coca-Cola. Right. So I felt like when I started writing the book, I really wanted it to be in present tense and, and real time because I wanted to show the progression or the digression of the addicts and how I loved them and then didn't right and how they moved through their own addiction and and how the abuse got worse and then i also wanted to show in real time with real awareness and i use vocabulary that's very much true to my age um how i see it and how i move away from it mm -hmm. and so um that was something i just hadn't really found in a lot of in a lot of memoirs you know there's a couple that are written like in present tense and I just felt like, you know, when you're reading something and a kid is five and they're describing their mom having a sardonic smile, I'm like, well, when you're five, a mom doesn't have a sardonic smile, you know? Right. So, yeah. So anyway, I just, I really, yeah, that's, that's the memoir. It's, it's got lots of stuff in it. It's got recovery. It's got all kinds of things in it. It's been good. You know, and it's funny because we did an episode um, not very long ago talking about healing your inner child, right? And doing that work to connect with your inner child. Um, and that absolutely sounds like, you know, that was kind of something you were doing writing the memoir was almost to, you know, let that little girl inside of you, like have her voice and move through those experiences in a way that you can understand. Um, so was that intentional? Like, was that something you did as part of that process towards healing your inner child? Or was that something that just kind of naturally unfolded as you just decided you wanted to write this memoir? Yeah, it just was a gift actually in it. I just was trying to get everything out of my system. You know, I really was, my body was breaking down. Um, on every, I, I had two near death kind of experiences and I was like, I got to not be sick anymore. Wow. And um, as I just started writing them down, you know, like my family was so great. It took me a, you know, a few years to get all these stories out. And 
I just realized, you know, kind of at each age, I was healing that little girl. You know, I right. was able to kind of write the stories that happened, but then it was great, you know, and I, I ended up writing, I think, actually the book for 15 year old me. So there are a lot of ages in the book, but really 15 was absolutely uh, hard. It was a real struggle. So yeah, it was, it was a bonus. And I just would really recommend to anyone just write it down, you know, cause there's so much healing in that. Yeah, absolutely. That's just so powerful. I'm so personally invested. I can't wait to read this. I'm absolutely checking out your blog right after this. I just, <laughs> I think the, the, yeah, seeing that trauma through the eyes of a child, it resonates it, and, um, Absolutely. and there's not enough of that. And I, I think that's just so creative and innovative and I can't wait. Um, and we talk so much about resilience in the work that we do, right? That survivor ethos, the gift of adversity, mm-hmm. you know, taking that struggle and turning it into your new lease on life. And, you know, I think that it, we, we preach that every day. So, um, I resonate with your message. Thank you. Um, so I guess going into my next question. Um, we know that one of your goals is to help youth realize their dreams. How did that goal really manifest for you? And what does that path look like? Um, well, you know, so I'm a teacher and I feel like teachers are in the business of helping kids (laughs) to realize their potential and to realize their dreams. So it's really part of my job description too, you know, and, uh, just as I'm kind of parent the way I wish I was parented, I teach the way I wish I was taught. And it doesn't mean I didn't have great teachers. I just moved so much. They never really had a chance to affect my life the way they probably would or could have, you know. Right. Um, But, you know, our job is to really see a bigger life for themselves than kids can see, you know, to notice their excellent writing, to notice their positive attitude, to notice their leadership qualities, to notice their concern and care for others, their passion for advocacy. And so... I think um, it's really been encouraging kids and noticing those things. And then also sharing my own path of rejection, right? Um, I've certainly, on my path to getting published, you know, I, I think I had 36 rejections and I marked them on, on a chalkboard, you know, for all my students to see. And I was like, every time I got rejected by an agent, I'm like, but I'm fine. I'm still here. It's okay. Yeah. And it's leading me down the right path, right? And teaching them how to fail forward and letting them know failing forward is part of the path. Right. So, and I did have a few, when I was growing up, I had a few significant adults, you know, that did that for me. And I had a family friend who was the first to suggest I go to college. And at the time I was living in low income housing and I was 12 and I didn't know anybody who had a degree except that particular family friend. And he handed me a PSAT study guide and Every time we moved and packed our stuff into black garbage bags, I shoved that PSAT book in there and I carried it with me, you know, um, to six high schools, you know, wow. I mean, so he, he gave me a dream I didn't even know I could have. And I think that's what we can do for our students or kids is to, is to really see them and then to hold up a mirror for them to see themselves, you know, and, um, I think that path to dreaming, I also dream really big. I have really big, ridiculous dreams (laughs) and I share them with my students. And, you know, then I also share with them that I do everything I can to make those dreams a reality. And I share my missteps and, um, 
I, you know, I talk about vision boards and manifesting and, you know, I think even as a little kid, I didn't know all these things, but I feel like I had that as a kid. I knew that if I could just get up, get to the other side of the chaos, right? Mm -hmm. If I could just get out of where I was, I was going to have an amazing life. I just really believed that. And so I feel like, you know, in helping our kids to kind of create their dreams or believe that they're possible, you know, if we can be transparent with them about our own dreams, yeah, I think that's fun, you know? And, um, I mean, a few years ago, famously kind of in terms of dreaming, I went on the Ellen show and I was supposed to get to meet Duran Duran, my big band that I love so much. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of people in town watched and all my students watched and I didn't get to meet them. And so everybody watched me fail. And I came back to school the next day and the kids were so sad. And I was like, why are you so sad? They're going to be in Reno in two days. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not done. Like, I'm going to meet yeah. them. It just wasn't there. And then lo and behold, I had the greatest meeting with Duran Duran of a dream I didn't even know you could have, you know, and ended up on stage with them here in Tahoe. So that was way better than the Ellen show. Yeah. So. Oh, my gosh. So incredible. <laughs> yes, it was way better. It was. Yeah. And, and uh, I did learn, I think I'm the only person in their 40 year history they've ever done that with. Wow. Isn't that That's crazy? That's amazing. Yes. I mean, I, I heard through the grapevine that it was this Tahoe community rally behind, you know, mission, mission to get you to meet Duran Duran. So I, I think that's just just such an amazing little Tahoe snippet, you know. It was. Yeah. The, the lead singer was like, who are you? He's like, you don't even know how many people reached out to me. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So he actually, he confessed, he's like, I feel a bit of, I've been kind of maneuvered. He's like, I think I have to take you on stage. And I'm like, you've never done that. I'm like, you guys have never done that before. And he's like, well, we're doing it tonight. <laughs> That's amazing. You're like, yes, you are. Welcome me to the stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Hey, dream big. That's awesome. And you know, I just want to go back and just touch on you know, you're speaking about um, some of the adults in your life, right, that you were able to connect with that kind of taught you or showed you that you can dream and, and you can see kind of a world outside. And, and, and at first, when you were talking about, you know, I moved around a lot and was going to six different high schools. And so I never really had a chance to make that connection with the teachers. Um, I was thinking about, you know, before you mentioned there was some great supportive adults in your life, I was thinking, you know, like, it's such a shame, right? Like, it's such a shame when we don't have those opportunities to have that supportive adult that we can trust, that we can talk to, that could be a sounding board that can help us realize potential in ourselves. And so it really makes so much sense to me that now, I mean, you're a teacher, you run the Ally Club, you do so many things for the community, that of course, you are this like, really important pillar, right, for, for kids in the community, you are that trusted adult now. And I think that's so beautiful, right, for you to have recognized that from your youth, and then have gone on to be that supportive adult, because we talk about that all the time, you know, the power of just just having that one supportive adult in a kid's life could make all the difference in the world. And so, yeah, I just I love that that's been your progression, right, from from recognizing that from really needing those supportive adults, and now just being such a crucial support for so many of the kids in South Lake Tahoe. So yeah, just thought just thought I wanted to point that out, because I feel like that's just is so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's so special. My, my first students are 39 years old this year and like, we're all friends, you know, I still, we're connected and I've been to weddings and yeah. all. it's just, it's amazing. It's really great. Yeah. I'm lucky. It is. I even love hearing that our director 
of our agency now still calls you Miss Heidel because she had you at school and she's such a huge fan of you and your work and your teaching. So, yeah, no, it's just, it's really incredible um, the impact that you've had, you know, and especially in a small town like Tahoe, um, you know, the more amazing adults out there that are helping kids realize their potential and, you know, seeing through any situation that's coming at them. It's just, it's so, so well needed. So, I mean, in, in light of all of that, right, you are the um, self-proclaimed or the proclaimed yes woman. Um, you've done all these incredible things. You've met Duran Duran. You've gone on stage. You've been on the Ellen show. You've, you know, won Dancing with the Tahoe Stars with so many incredible things that you're doing in this community and beyond. We have to ask you, like, what is next for Bridie Heidel? After this book, like, what's, what's, your, what's your, next, your next stop on the success train? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I know. I kind of pinch myself. It's so, been so exciting, all the fun things that have been happening lately. And I think it really is. It's that power of just saying yes and just going for it. I mean, I'm 51 now. I got nothing to lose. Let's just do it. You know, <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like, you know, and as as we know, it's like, especially after COVID and stuff, it's like, you just don't know what's coming. Right. And if, if, it not, if not now, when, mm. you know, you might not get the chance. Right. So take the trip, write the book, you know, kiss the girl, whatever it is, like, just do it. <laughs> um, so publishing Bright Eyes is really going to be kind of a reality and a dream come true. And so I feel like that's my next step is getting that book out into the world. And um, that's going to be really exciting uh, when that happens. And I feel like what's going to follow there is really the stuff of dreams. I mean, book tours, you know, I get to do all of those things and travel around. And I have done a couple of visits to schools already talking about resilience and things. And mm. so I'd like to do more of that. Um, I learned along the way in writing the book, I had a, a colleague of mine reading some chapters and he said that it was, make, it was going to make him a better teacher. So I feel like because of what he learned about, you know, how I presented as a student, you know, to teachers. And so I feel like that's something great. I'd love to do that is to, to create some workshops and things for teachers. And I have a workshop that I have presented helping people write about their own struggles and write about their own trauma as a way to heal. And mm. so I think these are the things kind of now as I'm thinking about dreaming, it's kind of like, I just want to get out there and, and just know that Maybe like a lot of people, you know, who grew up like I did, you just kind of want to know it's for something. You want to know that like, yes, my life is wonderful and beautiful, but you know, when your cup is full, you, you, you hand it off, you, your mm -hmm. cup runneth over, you give it to other people. And so I feel like I've done that in teaching to some extent um, from my background, but now I just want to do it on kind of a larger scale. So I'm excited about that. Um, getting in front of Drew Barrymore, you know, let's get on the show. Let's do it. Yes. That's definitely Absolutely. a dream coming true. Um, <laughs> Drew, if you're a listener. Oh, she's on my vision board. <laughs> Drew Barrymore is on my vision board. You betcha. Um, you know, Reese Witherspoon's book club, Oprah calling, like we got big dreams. They're coming. You watch, they're coming. <laughs> And I have no doubt that all these things can and absolutely will happen for you. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, it, and what you're doing, it's so it's so important because even individuals who may not have had a similar upbringing, 
I think there is so much insight and it really speaks to better understanding of challenges, right? Of, of different um, life experiences and, and how we shape ourselves, how we view the world. And so someone that, you know, it was worlds away from growing up in that kind of an experience, they can still learn so much, right? From reading your book and really taking in and, and educating themselves on what that dynamic can really look like. And I love hearing as well, uh, the workshops you're going to do with teachers. I think that is absolutely amazing and, and encouraging other people to write down their own experiences, whatever those experiences look like, because I mean, as you know, pretty well, there's so much power in our written word and writing down our experiences and, and having that, that vulnerable, honest moment with ourselves, right. To really write about what's going on and, and how we're feeling. And so, yeah, I just, I, I look forward to reading your book. I know Colin absolutely does as well. We're both excited. I think a lot of the listeners out there are going to have their eyes peeled. Um, they're probably anxiously awaiting this book release as well. Drew Barrymore, if you're listening, Oprah, if you're there, we have her. She's here. Get her on the show. Call her. So cute. <laughs> I love assuming that Drew Barrymore and Oprah are absolutely listeners. We'll just, we'll shoot for the moon and say like, yeah, we'll we assume they're listening. Too. Yeah. Why not? But I love that. Yes. Like you were saying, Lisa, the awareness part of it, right? Those stories that you feel you can't tell. I so resonate with that, you know, growing up in the wake of a, a family suicide. I think it's just like, there's so much that goes behind closed doors um, right. for, for all of us. And there are so many things that, you know, just, you know, the, the stats on how close that is to home, you know, for us, and especially this community in so many communities is just, you know, until people tell those stories, we don't know. So I think the impact is just so great. And, and um, you know, in in bringing to light these stories for those who haven't experienced it and just making them aware. And I think it's it's just an important thing. Um, so you. it resonates with me personally very much. I am, um, I, I wanted to, to, you know, people who are considering kind of writing down their stories. One thing I kept hearing from literary agents is that these stories have been told because the glass castle was written. So there don't need to be any more stories or educated was written. So mm. I, I just heard that these stories were kind of played out, um, for agents and publishers. And, you know, I'm so grateful again, um, to have that suggestion to write the blog because that told me those that these stories, as much as I wish they were played out, they're not. Yeah. And I have received, I mean, dozens and dozens of messages from people disclosing their own abuse they've never talked about, and from 20-year-olds to 80-year-olds. And right. and you know, people who are people who's reading I'm right, you know, writing I'm reading now because they are sharing their stories. And so I feel like, you know, sometimes we go, oh, you know, there's there's, this has been talked about, but your story for whoever's listening, you know, your story hasn't been told Yeah, exactly. and it hasn't been told in the way you can tell it and your experience hasn't been told. And so maybe, you know, telling it to yourself first is so powerful, but then just sharing it and opening your mouth. And I do feel like part of it, you know, I feel like there's a, a, a lot of people in this community who I know, who know I had a, a rough life kind of growing up. They know a little bit, but I think kind of given who I am and I'm kind of positive and perky and bubbly. And then you read this and you're like, Oh my God, you know? Yeah. And I think there's power in that for a lot of us that we, a lot of people present so well. And, you know, we hear kind of that stuff about social media and only seeing the pretty pictures and all of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do that in life and 
And some of it's just survival. You know, you don't want to walk around kind of uh, dragging your stories behind you all the time. But I do feel like now, now more than ever, it's so important. It's important to just, it's important to come out as a survivor of abuse, sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. physical abuse. It's important to come out, you know, as an ally, for God's sakes, tell people Mm -hmm. that you support and love, you know, your transgender friends and tell people like, just, I think the more open we are right now, the better everything would be. So speak it, speak it. Yes. I always call it um, cropping out the sadness, you know, as, oh, as we do on social media. But um, I totally, I've worked in social media and influencer marketing for the last 10 years. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's the culture I was participating in. That's the, you know, my clients, people I've worked with. It's, you know, and there is so much hurt behind the happiest person in the room. Um, you know, it's that, I agree that dichotomy goes hand in hand, you know, and it's, it's that stark whiplash of being like, oh, but I didn't, you know, I I never would have thought that. And, you know, that's on purpose. Um, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a coping mechanism, but it's, I think it's, it helps open people's eyes to to the reality of how that plays out. Totally. And I want to ask you too, Bridie, um, you know, you said obviously as a child, right. And, in kind of in the throes of the situation and, you know, some of the the trauma and your upbringing, right? You were comfortable. You couldn't talk about it. You couldn't write it down. You couldn't really, you know, you didn't have a sounding board to have those kind of conversations about what was going on. And so I'm just curious, like, at what point did that transition into you, like, feeling comfortable and feeling like you kind of owned that story and were able to retell that story and, and speak about it? Like, how long after maybe that childhood were you able to kind of, like, feel comfortable in talking about that? Um, yeah, I... I, I don't know that I hit a lot when I was in high school. I just didn't talk about it, right? And right. I hit a lot when I was young. As I started feeling comfortable talking about it, to tell you the truth, was when I started teaching. Um, one of my very first jobs was as a substitute teacher at the middle school, teaching what they used to call the challenge challenge classes. And they were the some at-risk kind of kids who grew up like I did. And I walked into this classroom one day, and these kids were living in motels like I lived in. They were living on friends' couches. And mom had the deadbeat boyfriend. And I just, I was in a room that I understood. Yeah. And so as much as I kind of, I just didn't talk about it when I was growing up because I just don't want to bug people with it or I didn't, whatever, all those reasons, right? We just don't. Mm-hmm. And I sat in front of these kids and they were, they were sixth graders. And I was like, oh, I lived in a motel. And I told him I lived in the one across from the hangar. You know, it used to be the BV and the Nickelodeon. And I lived there. And they were like, what? And I realized I just kept talking to them. And it was like they stopped kind of posturing and they stopped rolling their eyes at me. And they, we were engaging. And yeah. I still know those kids. I still know those children. And I left that classroom that day. And, you know, I grew up in a house where my mom hated teachers, obviously, right? Because they were going to turn her in for something if they knew. Mm, and so yeah. we just, I, w- I was not supposed to become a teacher ever. And so I was just substitute teaching to make some money. And um, I left that classroom that day and the classroom aide followed me out. And her name was Joy Rothschild. And she's an amazing human, but she um, was a New Yorker. And she grabbed my face and she was like, I love watching you teach. And I'm like, I'm not a teacher. And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, this is the thing that you must do. You must do this. I saw you today with those kids. And I believed her just like I believed the guy should go to college. And just like I believed a few other adults. And she was an integral part of that. 
And I feel like that, that storytelling, that opening up happened with those kids. That was really the first time because I all of a sudden in that room, I was sixth grade again, right? I was a sixth grader and I wanted to be with the sixth graders and I wanted to have those conversations I didn't have as a sixth grader. I was having them and I was 26, 27. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that question because, you know, I, I definitely, definitely didn't talk about it. And I feel like I do. I pick and choose how I talk about it in my classes. And, you know, I'm sure there are times when I've said too much um, and I don't mean to, you know, but I also feel like sometimes bringing things up, you know, students are like, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, mm. I get that. You know, or they'll send me an email and say, thank you for talking about that or thank you. You know, so the, I think as a teacher, just opening up a little bit more, <laughs> you know, it's good. It's good. It's it's so impactful. I mean, I still have the best memories of, you know, my first, you know, queer, my first gay teacher, you know, and I was in seventh grade and Mr. Govea, if you're, if you're a listener, um, but you know, he to this day is still someone I'm friends with on Facebook and talk to and consider a mentor and, you know, kind of just by existing in his truth in the same way that you were mm-hmm. showed me that it was possible to be happy as a gay person or that, that, uh, that a future that I could dream of, you know, now I could have that dream. Like you were saying, I yeah. think it's, it's so you, sometimes someone has to show you the way. Um, so yeah, I, I, absolutely agree you know teachers are such important mentors for queer youth for all youth you know it's so impactful yeah we really and i think at the high school right now it's just the strongest staff you know we have such an allied staff of people we have such a caring compassionate group of teachers there right now and i think you know our kids are very very lucky to have the staff we have right now yeah i miss all the teachers there i was always so impressed um you know, it just it, comparing it to my high school, which there was there was good teachers at my high school, definitely, you know, individuals that cared and, you know, were in that job because they loved working with kids. But I remember so many times like being in classrooms, walking the halls, connecting with teachers and just thinking like, man, so many things could have been so much different if this was the high school that I went to. Like if this was the amount of support and if teachers connected with kids the way that they're doing here, you know, like it could have looked a lot different for me and and a lot of the kids that I went to high school with, you know, because it really is, it's unique. um, It's powerful. It's just, yeah, such, such an incredible culture. Uh, And one, one just last little fun question for you. And this is going to segue us into our little ending piece here. I'm just curious, what are some forms of self-care that you really enjoy doing that you have found really beneficial? And this could be, you know, self-care maybe you did as a teenager or self-care that you're doing currently. Like, what does your self-care look like? Um, Currently, my self-care is a lot of, uh, is hot yoga. (laughs) That is Mm. something I am quite addicted to. I've been a very reluctant athlete my whole life. Um, and exerciser and all those things. Um, I'm pretty tall and kind of broad, muscly, and you know, I, so I get thrown into a lot of sports and things, and I'm not good at any of them. But um, uh, you're an incredible so, dancer, though. <laughs> oh well, I had a great coach. Sion dancing with the Tahoe Stars. You were pretty athletic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, hot yoga is nice. It's mental. It's physical. Um, I think, too, a lot of self-care is all this dreaming. That's really good for my soul, you know, having things to look forward to, um, kind of creating the path for that, 
um, that feels really good to kind of see where I'm headed. You know, that's a lot of self-care. And then obviously, you know, just hanging out with my family. I have a really beautiful family and that's really nice for me to just kind of be all the time giving love, getting love constantly from them. So that's pretty nice. Love it. Absolutely love it. So that brings us into our little piece of self-care for the day. So our listeners out there, they always know we're going to end with a guided meditation. So I invite everybody, if you're willing to take on the meditation at this time, just find yourself to a comfortable seated position, somewhere where you can feel relaxed and at ease. And I want you to just start paying attention to your breath. We don't need to change it. Just start paying attention to your inhalations and your exhalations. And as we're bringing this awareness to the breath, I want you just to start scanning your body, feeling if you have any places of tension, if you're holding stress anywhere. Again, there's no need to change it right now. Just noticing. I want you to start taking our meditative breath. So deep breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Deep breath in and a big breath out. Continue with this meditative breath and on your exhales, allow gravity to help you sink a little bit deeper into your relaxation. Notice the rise and fall of your chest and your belly while you're taking these deep breaths in and out. And start to find a rhythm with your breathing. So maybe you make your inhales the same length as your exhales. If you have any thoughts or feelings come up, that's fine. You can acknowledge them, but just bring your attention back to your breath. Right now, the only thing that's important is breathing in and breathing out. Notice how you're feeling in this moment. Maybe you feel pleasant or relaxed. Maybe you feel uncomfortable or that the experience is neutral. Just know whatever you're feeling, that's okay. Just remind yourself we're only focused right now on our breath.
In these next few breaths, I want you to take a moment to offer yourself some gratitude and some respect for taking care of yourself during this meditation. Thank yourself for taking some time to focus on you and taking care of yourself. On your next inhale, go ahead and take a big breath in, really expand your lungs and a big breath out, let it all go. One more big breath in, fill your lungs and hold for a count of three. And a big exhale out. And if you'd like to, you can feel free to pause, continue on with this breath work. But for now, I invite you to go back to your normal breathing. Start to slowly come back online, wiggle around, take a stretch if needed. If you closed your eyes, gently float them open back into the room. And I want to thank everybody for engaging in that little bit of self-care with us. Thank you so much, Lisa. <clears throat> I feel genuinely so relaxed every time we do that. I think <laughs> it's such an amazing part of the pod. Um, it's everyone's favorite, yeah. It, yeah, we all we all come back feeling so refreshed to close out. It's it's it, it's so nice. I love doing the podcast. <laughs> um, so, Bridie, we wanted to thank you so much um, for sharing everything with us and with our listeners today. And before we close it out, we have one last question for you. And I feel like we've answered this already in so many ways. But mm -hmm. do you have any closing advice out there for others who have experienced trauma, abuse? Oh gosh, you know, I feel like you deserve a better life. And you can have a better life and you can write your own story and you can write yourself into that story. And, you know, we're, we're real quick to believe the negative things, right? So really working on believing the positive and, um, you know, I think ultimately if you want, at least in my experience, if you really, really want a better life and you want to have a better future than you were kind of brought up in, you're going to have to make some really hard decisions. And so mm -hmm. just believe that those decisions are important and it's okay and you're not selfish. And even if nobody likes your decision, it's okay because it, it's about taking care of yourself. And, you know, um, I feel like if you think about, you know, you want to have a better financial life and pay your bills and all those things, you know, create that vision for yourself. How do you do that? And then kind of work backwards. Um, if you want to have a, a better life and love and healthy relationship, um, you know, you're going to have to choose different. And I think growing up in abuse, we get addicted to the chaos. We get addicted to the arguing. We get addicted to the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, choosing the right person to love and to let love you is think is really important. And, you know, to recognize the red flags that you saw as a child or, you know, and I had a lot of great people who loved me when I was younger, but you know, some of them drank too much or they were too bossy or they had their own rough family that I couldn't balance. And so I feel like 
again, you know, really believing that you are worth, you know, not just the first person who falls in love with you necessarily, right? right. But making that life and knowing that you can make some, some decisions for yourself. So don't be afraid to make hard decisions because they are important and they're, they are going to lead you to your truth and you're happily ever after. And I guess just lastly, something I was thinking about is, you know, I, I wrote about it in the blog a little bit, but, you know, I talked about resilience and optimism and bravery. And I came up with an acronym with that is ROB, right? R-O-B. And if we can rob that childhood trauma of its power mm. before it steals our adult dreams, right? That's big stuff. So rob that trauma of its power and go create the life you deserve. Just such wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate this. Just incredibly powerful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, more than you will ever know. We appreciate you for your vulnerability, your transparency, you being willing to share your story. We know how important that is, right, for others to be able to hear about experiences like yours, right, for the individuals that uh, luckily have no clue what that kind of upbringing, what that kind of life looks like. I think it's so important, again, for the awareness, but for individuals who grew up in situations that could be similar or, you know, have had any kind of obstacles, challenges, abuse, trauma, you know, just to hear others that have gone through that, and especially someone like you that has such an incredibly positive outlet that has gone on to do so much um, and, and just catapulted yourself away from that trauma and into this place of success and, and helping other people transform. I mean, just incredible, right, for you to have recognized that cycle of violence that we talk about so much in our work, and you have truly broken that cycle. And I think that alone is so powerful for listeners to hear, because being stuck in that is is a huge reason, like you were mentioning, right? Like, you, you almost can't see the world outside of that. You don't know it could look any different. You don't know that that maybe isn't normal, what you've experienced, or um, that you deserve less than you do. And so, yeah, just incredibly powerful. Um, I know for Colin and I, but especially for our listeners out there. Uh, so we just really want to, you know, just thank you again for for being here, for sharing. And for the listeners, we're going to have Bridie's blog linked below. We're going to have that site where you can either purchase tickets if you're in the New York area or surrounding area, or even get the live stream of her upcoming performance in New York City. Uh, for funsies, I'm also definitely going to have the video of her amazing performance on Dancing with the Tahoe Stars. Um, if you see the little headstand she does at the end of it, you will recognize exactly why. I felt it was very important to add that in <laughs> to the resources. It is fantastic. But we're also going to have resources below as well for anybody out there who has experienced trauma um, either in the past or currently a lot of resources for you to just reach out, learn more about it, uh, connect with somebody, a trained advocate if need be. So again, Bridie, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you all the luck on all of your upcoming endeavors. I know we are just waiting now. We'll be counting down for when your book is released. And then of course, just waiting for the day that I do see you on the Drew Barrymore show when I do see you on Oprah's book club list. So, <laughs> so just the best of luck to you manifesting all of that for you yes thank you so much thank you and again drew oprah if you're listening she's here we can get you the contact just reach out to us uh but just thank you again brightie this was such a great discussion and also big thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning into this conversation today and we hope you will join us for our next one